Welcome to Mature in Every Way, a study of James. I'm Renee Adelsberger. We're going to walk through this book verse by verse. For more from me, visit pedestriangod.com. Let's get started. And here we are, chapter three. One of my favorite and least favorite chapters in the entire Bible. It's a favorite because I know I need it. It's a least favorite because I know I need it. I take verse 1 seriously. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. It's actually rather terrifying to me to know that I will receive a stricter judgment because I am a teacher of the Bible. By teaching the Bible to others, I am taking on a role as a spiritual leader. The Pharisees were teachers. They did not teach the Bible correctly and led many people astray. This is not the kind of teacher I want to be. As a teacher of the Bible, I have to be very careful with my words, explanations, and interpretations. When students ask me, I have to be certain to answer with Bible truths, not Renee's opinions. I must constantly point people back to the Bible, be open to criticism, and be ready to to defend my teaching with Scripture. After all, like James says, We all stumble in many ways. I don't want my inaccurate Bible teaching to cause someone else to stumble even more. James says that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature person who is able to control his entire body. I don't know about you, but my words are probably the hardest part for me to control. I am typically a content person, so I don't worry much about my feet wandering and leading me into sinful situations. Though I have been known to watch television shows that don't glorify God, my eyes are typically well-trained and not an an all-encompassing temptation for me. But that mouth of mine, it likes to open up even when I've shut it. It likes to go ahead and say those bitter words even after my brain told it to walk on and go be by myself. It likes to say a sharp, because I said so rather than take a breath and give a steady explanation. And once again, James has very memorable examples to help us think about the tongue. First, he compares it to a bit in the mouth of a horse. A horse is a large and powerful creature, and yet with a small object in its mouth, we are able to steer it to go wherever we want to go. Second, James compares the tongue to the rudder on a ship, Even the largest of cruise lines can be directed by the captain. All it takes is a small rudder underneath or behind the ship to guide it in the right direction. And finally, James compares it to a forest fire. All fires start with a small spark, even just the lighting of a match or the burning end of a cigarette. And within hours, under the right circumstances, Hundreds of acres of trees are on fire. It ravages and burns so hot and moves so quickly that it often cannot be controlled. If you can get the bit into the horse's mouth correctly or install a rudder properly, you can control the rest of the item. The smallest of things controls the largest of things. So it is with our tongue. Much of our sin would vanish if we only first found a way to control the words we say. 
When we don't control them, our sin spirals out of control, much like a forest fire. In fact, James calls the tongue a world of unrighteousness that stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That is quite the description of the tongue. It's not just a stumbling block for us, but its origin is from hell itself. James says that every kind of animal on the whole face of the earth can be tamed by a human, but we cannot tame our own tongues. Our tongue is more deadly than a shark, tiger, or polar bear. James calls it a restless evil full of a deadly poison. His words are sharp and clear so that we will not underestimate the power of this small body part. It's not something to play around with. What are some ways that our tongues are full of deadly poison? I think of things like lying, gossiping, and bitterness. All of these are dangerous roads to go down. Lying in particular is a hard path to get off. Once you make the decision to tell the first lie, you have to follow up with more lies to keep the story going. Just today, I told a certain child not to eat a piece of candy. I saw them just a few minutes later, chewing happily, and I asked, what are you eating? And they said, eating? I'm not eating anything. I walked closer and said, what's in your mouth? They quickly slapped their hand to their mouth and refused to take it away, even when I repeatedly told them to. When they finally pulled their hand away, they clenched their fist tightly to the side as they opened their mouth wide and said, See? Nothing in my mouth. As I gazed into their mouth, with their tongue brightly stained from the color of the candy I know they ate, I said, Is there anything in your fist? Nervous, they looked at their empty hand and said, No. Not that hand. Open this hand. I said, and tapped the tightly closed fist. After a long hesitation, they reluctantly opened their fist and revealed to me the piece of candy they had been chewing. The first lie, that they didn't have candy in their mouth, was followed by more lies and deceptive actions. Lying is a hard pattern to break. It can quickly become part of a person. The further a person moves away from the total truth, the harder it seems to be to find their way back to it. Gossiping is another way our tongues are full of deadly poison. And in this day and age, I'm going to include all words typed on social media as a way of using our tongue, because our tongue in general includes all the ways we communicate. Why do we so boldly spew our every last sinful and selfish thought behind people's back on social media and other places? Why am I so quick to complain to a friend about someone else? Why are so many people so mean on social media? Because our tongue has taken control. Rather than stop to pray and ask for wisdom, we storm off and we let our tongues take over. We say, type, and text thoughts that most likely we would never say to someone's face. And third, our tongues are full of deadly poison when we use them in bitterness or anger. It's commonly said that, when faced with danger, people usually respond in one of three ways. Fight, flight, or freeze. My husband is fight, I am flight. 
We were on a walk one day when a small yet vicious dog displaying all its teeth came charging down the road at us. I had taken off running and I was halfway out that cove when I realized Kevin wasn't beside me. I looked. He was in the exact spot we had started, had braced himself, and had one leg ready to kick the dog as it approached. Fortunately, the owner came sprinting out of the house, yelled the dog's name, and it stopped about three feet before reaching Kevin. There is no doubt in my mind that Kevin would have punted that dog to protect us. The dog was ready and fully capable of causing a lot of damage to us with its bite. We did, however, end up laughing the rest of the walk home, as our fight versus flight responses had come out so clearly in that moment. I bring this up because a lot of us are fight, flight, or freeze when it comes to our tongues in angry moments. I am very thankful that my husband is extremely self-controlled when it comes to his words. Very rarely have I heard him speak to another person in anger. For me, I am freeze when it comes to my tongue. If you were to start yelling at Kevin, he would have an instant response for you. He most likely wouldn't be yelling back, but he would be able to very decisively express himself. I, on the other hand, would be completely and utterly speechless. All my words, kind and unkind, would be gone from my brain. But catch me about 15 minutes later and, oh boy, are the sinful angry words there. Kevin has sat through many an evening when I have ranted on about something that happened during my day with a friend or co-worker. Even though it wasn't in the moment, my words are angry and bitter. They are not under control and are not glorifying God. James tells us in verse 9 that we both bless God and curse people with the very same tongue. You can be singing worship songs one moment and then turn around and mock someone the next. In verse 12, James asks, Can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? The obvious answer to this rhetorical question is no. Of course a fig tree can only produce figs. When you really think about it, James is being quite ridiculously funny to emphasize a point. Just like a saltwater spring cannot produce fresh water, so also our tongue, which was created to praise our Lord, should only be used to praise our Lord. James has told us that it is our faith in Christ that gives us salvation, and this faith is accompanied by works that glorify Him. If we can daily ask the Lord to help us have self-control when it comes to our tongue, our walk with Him will be even closer. We will be like a tamed horse or a boat that is on course. With God's help, our tongue can be controlled, but we cannot do it on our own. We cannot try hard enough or exert enough effort. We must turn to the Lord for wisdom, especially when it comes to our words. Lord, please help us control our tongues so that every word, thought, and motivation behind them will be glorifying to you. We're sorry for all the words we've wasted while being hateful to others. We love you. Amen.